Hi, everyone. My name is Samo Siddiqui, Mayor of Cambridge. And I'm Alana Mallon, Vice Mayor, and this is our weekly podcast, Women Are Here. Hi. We're, it's, we're, we're here. It's Friday. Hooray. <laughs> so glad it's Friday. Um, TGIF, for real. Uh, so let's start off with something like happier. And... No, because I've been like real close to the edge all day with the <laughs> tears. So let's talk right. about something fun. Uh, so you, I... <laughs> have been told by you and many others to start the undoing. I have not done that yet. So you liked it? It was so good. I binge watch it over the Thanksgiving break and it's quick. It's only like, I think eight episodes or nine or something. And uh, so, yeah, it's Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, both my faves. Um, And it's about a murder. Is there love in it? Um, There, there was some love. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> hence, hence the murder. And um, it's, don't tell me. No, no, of course. I would never. But once you watch it, well, first of all, everyone should watch it. It's really good. It's like just total escapism. It's all about like this wealthy couple who lives on like the upper west side of New York City. Um, and then a murder that happens like to a private school, right? Like it's like elite, you know, this elite murder thing. But my favorite part is that the internet has been going crazy about whether or not this one coat that she wears is like, like nice or not. Like it's so distracting this coat the whole time, the whole episode that she's wearing it. (laughs) And some people are like, it's gorgeous. It was beautiful. She looked amazing in it. And other people are like, it's the most hideous piece of clothing I've ever seen. So I've really been enjoying how the internet is so divided about this one coat that she wore, like one episode. But you'll you'll like once you once you watch it, you'll be like, oh, this is the coat because you're like, I don't know, is it ugly? Is it hideous? Is it beautiful? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, but it was really good. And I have to say that my daughter and I have been watching like a ton of rom coms, um, you know, to get us through this <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. And right after I saw that, so Hugh Grant, um, you know, he's like my age or whatever. And, you know, he's like not looking super great. And we watched Bridget Jones diary together, like right, you know, the next day. And I was like, oh my God, like he looks so like a baby in that movie. And he's Bridget Jones. Age. Yes, he is. He's 60. No. He's 60. Yeah. How do you know that? I just looked it up on <laughs> Wikipedia. He's 60. You're okay. good. Okay. You're good. Okay. You're good. <laughs> I'm about, I'm turning 50 this weekend. So I'm feeling a little, a little on my feelings about it. You sure are in a <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> I, know, I keep telling everybody I'm going to turn 49 part two this year. <laughs> and then next year when there's a vaccine, we are all getting together for a massive party. Big, big party, big, mm-hmm. big party. Well, I, I will probably try to watch the show. You should, and tell me what you think about the coat. Yeah, I will. I, um, I've been watching RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh. Um, have you ever seen it? I, I, not a full season, but I love, cool. love, love RuPaul. I definitely didn't really know much about the show at all and started watching season, the last season, and I absolutely loved it. Like, these queens are so talented. And I love like just RuPaul, who's this like, I'm, I want to incorporate some of the, the sayings like Shantae, you stay, you know, and like, you, you know, you have it sashay away. I think I'm saying that right, but it's so funny. 
I just love it. I'm obsessed. But the the hardest part for me was the last episode of season 12 was virtual. You know, the finale was virtual because it's a pandemic. Oh, God. RuPaul is not RuPaul. Like, it was just so sad to me. And it really was a let. It was like a hard way to end the season. So I was like Emotional letdown. Right. So I I haven't really watched anything new. I did start Girlfriends, which is hilarious. Oh, okay. I could use a hilarious show. You, I think you'll like it. It's really funny. So definitely watch that. Um, and then I'm probably going to catch up on my, you know, Grey's Anatomy and Chicago Fire. I still, I'm a diehard fan for all these shows. Like, <laughs> I have it in the back when I'm like doing stuff, but I don't know how I fit TV into my life, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's there. It's there. So it's, it's your friend. All right. So, <clears throat> excuse me, on to the real, the real crux of the issue here we have some updates on what's happening here in the city of Cambridge during the pandemic yeah so first update uh, the state of Massachusetts has posted two of the highest number of new cases on record uh, 4600 on Wednesday and uh, 6477 yesterday uh, on Thursday um, and 600. 80 of those cases were attributed to prior to December 1st due to a lab error. Uh, And here in Cambridge, we are on our fourth day of over 30 new cases per day. So our daily average incident rate from last week is 17.3 and it's up from 10.7 just five days ago on Monday for 100,000 residents. And the threshold for closing schools is a seven-day average of 25 per 100K. Uh, so, so this rate, we're getting to very soon. And uh, further, further metrics that we decided uh, by the school committee and teachers union, there will be this two days um, transition between hitting the metric and school closure to allow enough time for um, transition. And the superintendent is going to be sending some kind of message Monday. I, you know, I have a lot to say about that, but we can later, but it's something that obviously we've, it's keeping, I dream about this dashboard, basically. Um, Deer uh, Island wastewater monitoring has just been spiking. Uh, the number of RNA copies of COVID is now um, showing at the same level as in the spring. Uh, and we have been collecting Cambridge data. Uh, it's going, it's been, been collected for the last several weeks. I've been told that it's going to get shared um, early next week. Uh, and there were some issues around collection sites uh, and so forth, but it is available. And I think it ha- is showing what we, I think we'll probably see that it's, you know, high, higher rates than we've ever seen before. Yeah. So those are some really concerning rates. I think we've, uh, you and I like live and die both those numbers being posted uh, by five o'clock every day and, and looking at the, um, the daily incident rates on the COVID dashboard of the Cambridge Public School website. So, you know, I, it's, it, it's really concerning on how quickly some of this is spiking. And, you know, the just two weeks ago, I guess we should probably talk about this too. We put in a late policy order asking the city to look at closing indoor dining along with some other indoor unmasked activities like gyms. Um, You called a special meeting with many epidemiologists who've been urging cities to take a targeted approach to closing some high risk activities. 
to avoid that spike that we're seeing now, which is the second wave and the double whammy of a Thanksgiving spike. So this morning, the Boston Globe reported that the high numbers Wednesday and Thursday of this week do not even include those Thanksgiving infections that they're expecting. So our policy order sought to have the city manager take a regional approach to these targeted, you know, closures so that our small business community wouldn't be hit disproportionately. And that also a relief package would be created with the help of any businesses that would be impacted by those potential temporary restrictions on opening. And last week, uh, you know, Mayor Walsh, Baker, um, and our city manager had said that, you know, we're not, you know, considering any additional closures. And I think the Metro mayors have also said, you know, we, we know that this is an issue. I think we would like the state to move first, um, but obviously the state's not moving, but uh, Mayor Walsh announced yesterday during his press briefing that if Boston's infection rate remains high, he may be forced to shut down the city. Um, but Governor Baker said that he plans no further measures to close as he toured a field hospital in Lowell that had been set up in the state to handle hospital overflow and another one in Worcester uh, will open on Monday. Yeah, I mean, it's been clear for weeks that additional closures and measures have been necessary to stop that community spread that we knew was coming. Yesterday, I, I watched the briefing with uh, Governor Baker who stated that the high numbers on Wednesday, um, which was actually a thousand new cases less than Thursday's new case number, indicated that that shows widespread community transmission in much of the state. So I'm, you know, it's 3.30 now. I'm, wondering what today will bring in terms of new cases, but um, with the RNA copies in the wastewater that we're seeing in Deer Island, both on the North Shore and the South Shore, um, I'm, I'm really concerned about what this means in terms of keeping schools open, in terms of keeping other aspects of the economy open. I mean, Christmas is right around the corner and our small businesses have um, a very limited amount of time to, to really provide retail experiences for our, our residents and, and make that money, mm -hmm. pay that rent. Yeah, I'm, you know, I think I'm just really, really concerned about the schools as I've uh, pointed out. And, you know, there, this isn't for us, schools versus businesses. You know, we I think there was some discussion on that two weeks, you know, not last week, two weeks ago around, you know, us trying to pit businesses and schools. and that could be further from, you know, what our um, goals are here. Uh, I think we both said, you know, these numbers will, will have a huge impact in our community. Um, and we haven't even, I don't think we've seen the worst of it. Uh, and I just feel like there's such a lack of leadership on the state level um, of like, you know, of, hey, here's what you should be doing. You know, there was a briefing that I think many governors were shared with and Massachusetts is like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in, we're, we're um, seeing these exponential uh, numbers and it feels, it's just like status quo, you know, <laughs> um, I, I just don't, um, I don't understand it. So I, I'm really worried. I think for me, I'm, I'm, I am curious about how Boston BPS has, Said, you know, we are going to, we are keeping schools, some schools open, like special ed, mm -hmm. um, even while transmission is high. And it really makes me, we are, think about can we keep some 
school, can we keep school open for the most vulnerable, right? Um, despite these metrics. I mean, it, it's something that hasn't really been discussed and I think there has to be further discussion, but I think whatever future model we choose and other things, um, I think there are students that really, really need to be in school. And I'm, I'm noticing that there are a lot of schools that have had cases and have had classrooms closed. And I know Amigos closed for some time. And it seems like there isn't a school in the district that hasn't been affected at this point with either a classroom closure or a full school closure. So. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we've been given how many kids are in school and like teachers and, and team I've I think we've been a, done a pretty good job with the testing um, and other things, but you know, let's like if, even if we were go going to be okay, uh, and you know we're gonna make it to January, like even those numbers I think can have a huge impact on staff's ability, right, of to be there, and uh, we may end up having to close more classrooms simply because not even because of COVID, but because. Um, staffing levels. No, because, yeah, yeah. And so people can't come for whatever reasons uh, related to COVID. Anyway, it's complicated. I I don't know, you and I, if someone like looks at our texts for, like in a year or two from now, <laughs> it's literally like, did you see the numbers today? Like, oh my God. Like we just go back and forth, back and forth. It's just, I mean, it's just such a challenging, challenging time. And I feel like we are, feel, I feel powerless in being able to do anything. Yeah, I think that's the hardest, most frustrating thing is to feel powerless in a position of power. Um, so yeah. speaking yeah. of um, testing, um, I want to say that I, I spoke to somebody that I work with who was like, well, I, um, I, I went to go make an appointment on the testing website and um, there weren't any. So I guess I can't get a test. And I was like, no, you can go to the site every day. You can go, you can show up even if you don't have an appointment. So I'm, we're here saying today, we have an excellent testing protocol here in Cambridge available every single day of the week. But if there are not appointments online, you can still go get tested any day. Um, I had an appointment. I went to the Pisani Center on Saturday with my family. I was, and I wanna stress this, the only person there. I was in and out in less than five minutes. And it only took that long because I saw a fighter fighter I knew. So um, I just want to say, if you go online and you go to make an appointment and you don't see one, just show up. Um, they will test you. And oftentimes there's zero line. So please spread the word. We want everyone to get tested, especially if you went away or saw family over the, the, the Thanksgiving holiday. Please now go get tested and uh, make sure that you and your family are safe and not asymptomatically shedding COVID-19 and and contributing to this uh, community right. spread. So um, we have some stats on testing that the city manager shared on Monday night. So the city funded COVID-19 testing program, uh, 17,468 tests were administered between November 1st and 30th. That's amazing. So that's three times the number of tests that were administered in October. And then the Cambridge Public Schools, you mentioned the teacher surveillance testing from October 15th uh, to through to December 1st, almost 9,000 tests were administered. And I, you know, I only say this because I know that testing outside of Cambridge has been difficult to make, obtain and people have reported waiting many, many hours in the stop the spread sites and have reported even a further delay in getting results. In many parts of Western Mass, the sites are too sparse to be effective. They're too far away. 
And I know State Representative Mindy Dom from Amherst has actually called on the governor to have the National Guard be brought in to assist to expand testing access for all Massachusetts residents. So the Cambridge Public Health Department is working on a number of efforts to actually curb COVID transmission as we alongside the whole country enter into this surge. So the Cambridge Community Corps members will go door to door in North Cambridge, East Cambridge, the port and Cambridge port to speak to residents about how and where to get tested and will leave behind informational leaflets in multiple languages when people aren't home. So the, the, that's some testing updates. Please spread the word on that. Uh, let people know that the testing is available even if there is an appointment. So Monday night, we actually had a city council meeting. Um, it was eventful, but we did get a few updates. Sumble, if you wanna yeah, start us and, off. And just for the, the, uh, the podcast um, clarity, the, we all, for the testing for surveillance testing, we've administered, it's almost 6,000, not 9,000. Did I, did I say, I you said 9,000. Did I? I think so. Yeah. I was looking right at 5,972 tests. Sorry. Oh my God. I heard 9,000. So maybe anyway, people. One million, <laughs> one million tests. <laughs> Almost 6,000 tests. Um, so yeah, we did have updates. Uh, so we have a homelessness services update. Since the city partnered with the first church, earlier this fall to offer shower facilities in Harvard Square to homeless residents um, Monday through Friday, one to four uh, p.m. 10 to 15 people a day have been utilizing these facilities. The city is considering offering morning hours as well. The city's emergency homeless shelter is expected to relocate to Spalding Hospital on December 16th and the War Memorial Recreational Center on Sierra Las Campus where the shelter currently is will soon uh, after we return to the school department. And then as an update, the city's warming shelter, which is located at the senior center, opened on December 1st at 7 a.m. and will offer food and a warm place to stay to up to 30 homeless residents a day. At 5.30 p.m., the warming shelter center will switch to an overnight shelter. Also, the state, in conjunction with a local nonprofit, Solutions at Work, is working on opening up their own homeless shelter at the New England School of English on Green Street, um, almost to, uh, it's like the Green Street and Lansdowne Street. So the city and staff will be conducting a walkthrough of the site very, very soon. And hopefully we can get some folks moved in there um, under the, you know, the Solutions at Work folks being the, the resource provider on site at that location. Very exciting. Um, there's an open space update. We have Memorial Drive will remain closed to cars and Riverbend Park will be open uh, I kept open for cyclists and pedestrians use on Saturdays and Sundays through December 27th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And um, I think many in the council hope that we can do it even longer after that. Yeah, it's actually, it was so nice. I went with my mom and my brother. Um, that was our Thanksgiving get together was we Aww. walked on Memorial Drive uh, on that Saturday. It was a beautiful day and it was so nice. There's so many people out. The sun was shining. People had dogs. It was, it's just a really nice amenity right now. And yes, I think we will keep fighting to keep that open uh, through the, the rest of this uh, medical surge. So we also have a city services update in order to better protect our city staff, the city will be reducing in-person appointments and only offering them on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Residents are encouraged to take advantage of the many city services offered online. But if you do 
need to come in and make an appointment, they are going to be open two days a week. So administrative buildings will also be close to staff on Fridays and departments that are able, encouraged to reduce in-person staff back to 25%. They had been up to about 40% um, in the office previous to this, uh, you know, this new thing going into place. So the other thing that we talked about, and I've been really trying to talk about a lot at the city council meetings is uh, long-term care facilities and nursing, nursing homes. So the Commonwealth recently issued new testing guidelines for nursing home requiring that all staff be tested once a week. Previously, only 50% of the staff had to be tested every two weeks. So it was really important to me um, to make sure that, that nursing home staff was being tested weekly. And we did make sure on Monday night that that's PCR testing, not the rapid, rapid testing. Um, we've got to make sure that we keep our nursing home residents and staff safe. Much of the, the lives lost here in Cambridge uh, over the, the beginning of the pandemic, you know, 72 out of the 100 residents that we lost um, over that time were living in long-term care facilities. So uh, I'm glad to see the state stepping up their efforts and testing because it's actually Definitely. critical. Definitely. Um, and then we had two orders by Councilor Zondervan um, that were COVID related. One asked the city manager to create a comprehensive contact tracing program with an emphasis on backwards contact tracing through the use of technology like QR codes uh, so by conducting backwards contact tracing, public health experts identified transmission clusters by tracking all of the places a COVID positive resident was and contacting other residents who were at the same place uh, in the same time frame. And we heard a lot of uh, some about this at that um, social meeting that we had. Uh, so until you know we have a vaccine, contact tracing is one of the most effective tools we have to prevent further transmission as it helps um, identify more individuals who should quarantine uh, and get tested uh, and using um, QR codes or similar technology would allow residents to quickly, easily check in and log that they were out of business so that, uh, for example, they could be contacted with cluster forms. Um, yeah, I thought that was a great idea. It was something that we talked about at our special meeting and the epidemiologist you know, really talked about the fact that the contact tracing isn't backwards tracing. And so I think something like that using the technology that's available um, would be really powerful. The second policy order asked for more data to be presented at the city council meetings than we're currently getting, as well as more up-to-date data. Uh, we've mentioned a few times on this podcast, but um, two weeks ago, we had a special meeting that the mayor called uh, with members of the expert advisor panel, as well as epidemiologists who provided a much deeper and clearer picture of where this virus is and where it's heading. And this order seems to make that type of information available weekly. And I think, um, you know, we tend to hear like what the city is doing uh, around different programs uh, from, you know, the police department, public health, but really having that kind of, you know, statewide data, virus data and up-to-date data. I mean, what's, it's just changing so quickly. I think, you know, we even talked about tonight on Monday night, the seven day positivity rate was um, much, much lower than it is right now, five days later. So this virus is moving fast and we need that up-to-date data um, to help us inform policy. And uh, Councilor Toomey Simmons and McGovern asked the city to develop a program to provide CO2 monitors and air purifiers for restaurants, similar to how we provided patio heat, uh, heater reimbursements. Um, and these uh, monitors and purifiers 
could help restaurants monitor airflow and ensure the recommended number of air exchanges are happening. And one of the other things that happened on Monday night is um, you actually introduced a policy order asking for mobile testing, uh, COVID testing, as testing is not available in all parts of the city equally. And um, it would be really, really helpful to have mobile testing, particularly to go out to our larger apartment buildings and make that testing available right there in the parking lot, um, you know, and encourage folks to get tested. So I know testing has been one of the things um, you, Sumble, have been pushing for um, so hard, you know, in the background, making sure that we have the testing available, making sure that staff um, at the public schools have been having testing available, that we are expanding testing as many days a week as possible. And I know this has been a big part of your work with the city manager and the public health department. So <laughs> I thank yeah. you for doing That's that. Interesting. I, you know, I think, you know, when we, we put that order in and I meant to say this, um, I didn't think I, I don't know if I, I don't think I pulled this somebody to talk about it, but, you know, as we think about the vaccine coming on, right. And how we're going to disseminate the vaccine, um, the, you know, it goes into how we, you know, we have some apparatus, is it apparatus, <laughs> apparatus, apparatus no. to help us um, with, you know, we've been doing these drive through flu clinics and also that flu clinic we had at the Cambridge side doubled as a practice run for the mass um, for, you know, potentially the mass depends thing of COVID-19 vaccine next year. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're going to, we've seen mobile testing being used in other cities. Um, and I think it could also function as a vaccine uh, mechanism. So uh, let's see what happens. I mean, on the note about tech uh, on vaccines, we did her here on Monday night um, that uh, Massachusetts expects to receive first doses of the Pfizer vaccine by mid to late December. Supplies will be limited in healthcare personnel with um, potential for direct or indirect hospital exposure will be prioritized. Uh, Massachusetts Department of Public Health will prioritize other high-risk groups based on state and CDC um, uh, recommendations. And, you know, we had a policy order that we put in around, you know, vaccine, um, you know, essentially a vaccine uh, committee and so forth to talk about um, all of this. I mean, Moderna has since also applied um, for their own emergency uh, uh, authorization. Uh, so we'll have Moderna, um, but there's just so many more details to be figured out. Um, but it's also something now that I'm, I, I've been looking into, and, and I know that the state submits their plan today. Um, they have a draft plan, but I think that in the priority group, I wish we could prioritize teachers. <laughs> right. Uh, just how we're prioritizing probably the healthcare workers and those who are over 65 and also um, those who have comorbidities. Um, I feel like teachers should be in that category. Uh, anyway, that's just my opinion, but there's a lot more to say on that. I think, you know, we may have to um, do a lot of community education um, as well uh, uh, to uh, figure out what to do. So I'm looking forward to talking more about that uh, on the council level. You know, the thing about mobile testing, too, is, um, you know, in order to make sure that there's a widespread take up of the vaccine once it's available, you have to do that kind of trust work 
at the beginning and do that education. And I think testing is a way to do that, right? Like, I think there's a lot of mistrust in a lot of our communities of color around vaccines and around um, the way equity is displayed in public health. Um, You know, there's a lot of examples of um, places where people of color should not be trusting of the medical community. And so using mobile testing as a way to bridge that gap and create that trust is going to be critical. And so I think the mobile testing piece of this is actually, um, it's really important, but it's also laying the groundwork for the larger, um, more critical piece, which is making sure that enough people get access to the vaccine and take it. And the vaccine is going, it's two doses. So one dose and then a month, four weeks later, I think one of them, it's take a second. It's going to be complicated. And so I think one of the parts of all of this is like, people are like, oh, there's a vaccine on the horizon. Great, but like, it's not here, people. <laughs> like, I know, actually, um, I don't know if you saw it, but I, I tweeted the New York Times has a, um, you put in your age, your profession, and whether or not you're medically vulnerable and something else. And it shows you where you are in line for the vaccine. And I'm pretty far back. <laughs> Right. So like, I think, you know, the more people we can get to actually look at, you know, deeply understanding that you're at the back of the line. And if we're saying December is healthcare professionals, you're, you're like next summer. (laughs) This isn't like early Feb for most Mm -hmm. people. Um, So yeah, check that out. And they did a really good job of like using, um, illustrations to to show you where you are in the line I was like whoa I'm really far back here yeah I have to do that still but um I'll definitely retweet it definitely share it because I think the most more people that can visualize where they are in the line will be like whoa okay I gotta wear my mask I gotta stay away from people we gotta get through this so you know we don't have a significant loss of life here in Cambridge and in Massachusetts because that's really what we're talking about that's the thing that keeps me up at night that's the thing that um, I, I don't know. I just haven't, I haven't been able to sleep. Yeah. I haven't, um, this is really right. weighing very heavily we, on so many of us. We should like, decide. I, I am up like so much of the night these days, like this whole year, like we were just talking about all the trauma, but yeah, we should just check. Oh, all I have to say, we should text each other. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> people are like, when do you watch this much TV? I'm like, what? Cause I'm up like, <laughs> freaking out at three o'clock in the morning, like like a normal person. Um, Okay, so that's pretty much what happened at the city council meeting. There were some other controversial items, but we don't have to- I don't remember. I know, it's been so many days since the city council meeting. Um, But I do, we do wanna talk about something great that happened this week, which was the Food Hero Awards of 2020 were awarded on Wednesday night. And man, it was a really uplifting, experience I know it was yeah. a lot of work um uh, you know for your office to put together and it was hard to do visually or virtually <laughs> but it was really amazing to bring together this group of people who have been deeply working on um food insecurity uh food related access issues over the last you know the time of the pandemic you know people who have really like stepped up and you know lent a hand um to whether it was healthcare workers, whether it was students, whether it was residents, 
um, it's really just been, it was an amazing night of, I mean, I, I cried a few times when people were, you know, doing their acceptance speeches. I think it was, it was so nice to actually recognize some of these local food leaders um, and really heroes that have been um, just working so silently in the background to, um, to ensure that all of our residents and healthcare workers and students have exactly what they need or have needed over the past, you know, 10 months. So um, we celebrated um, the following people. So the Cambridge Public Schools food and nutrition staff who um, have been making meals ever since March, they've really pivoted and, and jumped up to the challenge. Erin Miller at Urban Hearth Restaurant out in North Cambridge. Air Muir at Clover Food Lab. Jim Stewart at First Church. Jennifer Park at Forge Baking Company. Debbie Bonilla at Cambridge Public Schools. Keely Curtis at Movement Ground Farm. Daniel Ayer and Connor Dennehy at Cholula Restaurant over in West Cambridge. Tracy Chang at Pagu on Mass Ave in Central. And then Damian Vaca. Jackie Moe, Emily Dibble, and Virginia Quello, some rock star volunteers at Food for Pre, and Tony Maz at Craigie on Main um, for his uh, tireless champion championing of restaurants uh, at the state house and at the federal level. So those, it was really, thank you for putting that together. I know, like I said, it was a lot of work and you guys don't have a lot of time, but I think for me, it was a very moving experience um, to see so many people actually get acknowledged for the work that they've done. Yeah, it, you know, huge shout out to my chief of staff, uh, Madeline McCormick, who really um, executed this really well. We, you know, did, and the you and the Cambridge Food Heroes Committee, there's a handful of people on there, um, including the Cambridge Public Health Department, who we, you know, partnered with, you know, so we, we I think it went really seamlessly and it um, was great to focus on individuals who, you know, you know, have committed themselves to principles, um, you know, around access to food uh, uh, and food insecurity issues long before the pandemic began, but seeing how many of these have individuals and businesses and organizations have put, really pushed themselves even further uh, to support their community, given uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, it was really important for us to uh, honor them and we did get you know many many um, nominations and so I think everyone's a food in our, in our eyes uh, and uh, it was a really it was a cool way to include a greater variety of food heroes than we have in the past and have categories so that was fun um, and we have a we uh, uh, my team we ha we ordered a special gift for everyone that just came in <laughs> in the mail perfect perfect so we'll be we'll be getting those gifts off um but i may have you help with that <laughs> okay i'm i'll definitely i'm down to help i'm down to help okay. as a former food hero of um 2014 exactly. i'd be yeah. happy to help and then last weekend we missed each other um but we were like on text it was small business saturday um last weekend um and I went shopping with my mom, which was really fun. I heard uh, you bought her a purse. I bought her a bag from uh, <laughs> Newsly. She needed. Is, she needed it to be more fabulous than she is. Literally, she saw it on the wall, and she <laughs> was like, "I love the color. How much is it?" It was a hundred dollars. 
And I was like, you know what? I'll get it for you, mom. And she was like, no, 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 no. I was like, uh, I'll get it. So I got her the bag. I, I know she's going to use it once. Like I know her, you know, she has, she has hundreds of bags. I'm going to her house tomorrow to get it's a bag. So bougie. It's, it's the best. I love her. <laughs> and then, and then uh, what did you do? Um, I went to, excuse me, the Popportunity Winter Market at Starlight Square and checked out all the different um, vendors that were there. It was really amazing to just be outside and be able to shop and loved it. I mean, I got, I have to tell you, I got a pair of earrings at this place called Akakpo. Me too. Oh my God. Wait, wait, what earrings? What, which, which kind? I, I'm trying to remember that I think I got the um was it bravery nice they were the small ones they're beautiful strength 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 um I loved them but then (laughs) so funny um I went back and I bought like five different Christmas presents like online because it just I loved the message um there's these beautiful um I think he's Ghanaian yeah and um, the, there's these symbols for each thing, for each like endurance, bravery, friendship, strength. Um, and I went and I bought them because they're like so personal now, with, you know, some of my friends where I feel like some of them have been so brave. Some of them have been such good friends. And like, it's just so nice to have this like beautiful message and they're gorgeous. So they have these cuffs, they had earrings. Um, so I, I loved that. And then there was a... Um, there was a vintage store called Nestful Vintage that I was like, just give me this whole entire rack of clothes. I felt like, I felt like, you know, when, when you know, celebrities must have like a shopper who like just buy everything in their size. And then like, it, it's like exactly what they want. I was like, this is all of it. Beautiful stuff. She had beautiful things. So there were so many different vendors that were there. Opportunity is actually happening every Saturday and Sunday, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. through December 20th uh, at Starlight Square behind the H Mart. So definitely, if you haven't checked it out, it's a safe way to be shopping um, and to be really, you know, supporting some of these micro businesses that, um, uh, you know, like that, that jewelry designer, it's just amazing. Um, So I, I think I must've missed you because I saw Monika Bowman. And she said she had seen you, but then I, I never saw you. So I know, I know. I was like, oh, we missed each other. But yeah, it was fun. I got your, one of your presents from there. Oh, thank uh, the you. The soap, the soap. Did it smells soap so it? good. I think we've been to that place too. We were at like <laughs> the soap place, right? Yes, <laughs> definitely. I think you bought soap from there. Um, yeah, definitely go there. We're going to um, probably go back. Um, but definitely so, shop, shop local this holiday season. Yes. Our small businesses are struggling. I know everyone's like really nervous about what's going to happen in the second surge and whether or not things will get shut down, will need to be shut down. And I know, you know, we've, we've done small business Saturday for the past three years uh, together. And so many of our small businesses have told us that like small business Saturday tells them if they're going to make money this year or not. So let's make every Saturday, small business Saturday from now until the end of the year and make sure that we've got these small businesses that we know and love that are around the corner, um, that, that, that they will be able to make it until um, the end of this pandemic and and past. And send us your favorite local stores and why you love them. And we'll highlight them on social media. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So um, is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. We'll okay. be back next week. So 
Um, we'll probably have who knows what updates. Yeah, um, uh, who knows what will happen, but thank you for joining us. Thank you for caring for our Cambridge community. Thanks for shopping local and we will see you next week. Hugs, bye. bye.